Meet me on the softer side. Meet me on the softer side. Softer side of your heart. Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. You can find out about this and all of our other author events at www.skylightbooks.com, where you can also browse our inventory as well as order books online. You can also follow us on Twitter or even be our friend at Facebook.com. If you'd like to talk to a real person, we can be reached at 323-660-1175. And don't forget, Skylight Books depends on listeners like you to help support us. So whether you're in our neighborhood or browsing online, buy a book or two to help ensure that we'll be around for a long, long time. Thanks and enjoy. Tonight, we are here for the last round of Caleb O'Toole by Eric Pierpoint. So in addition to his stage, screen, and television credits like Heart of Dixie, Parks and Recreations, uh, Hill Street Blues, Fame, Who's Gonna Live Forever? Eric Pierpoint is gonna live forever, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Now we can add author. Yeah. to that title. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, author. And I just want to say, you know, you know, you know to become an actor and to, live, to, to be an actor is, is, is hard work, right? To be, you know, to be an author is hard work. And he's doing it, you know what I'm saying? He's doing it. So ladies and gentlemen, please bring your hands together for Eric Pierpoint. Oh, it's, what an amazing journey. Uh, I don't know if Marilyn is here, my manager, but, you know, of course, as an actor, I've been around forever. And I've got all my <laughs> actor, all my friends, my writer friends, and my producer friends, uh, everybody, my director friends. <laughs> and after a, a career of all, oh, you know, Getting on 40 years now, I guess. About 10 years ago, my manager said, uh, why aren't you writing? And uh, I said, because I'm acting, you know? Well, you should start writing. You're a great storyteller, so start writing. So I wrote a few screenplays, and uh, one of the screenplays happened to be a Western, and, and she said to me one day, well, uh, Hallmark wants to know if uh, you have an idea for a Western. And I said, of course I have an idea for a Western. So then I went home and I thought about it. And uh, why wouldn't I have an idea for a Western? My own family comes from um, Western migration stock. They came across the Oregon Trail, California Mormon Trails in 1848. Uh, there's lots of uh, diaries uh, that we have had, uh, lots of folklore. Um, the women in my family were prairie doctors, and uh, they patched up all the men who managed to bash themselves all across the Oregon Trail. Uh, there were some very violent times, too. There were some murders that took place. A couple of my uh, family members were found uh, down a well. Uh, so things were rough. And uh, I started thinking about this, um, and I found that what I wanted to do is write a story about a a, kind of like a, you know, a gunfighter who adopts three orphans on the orphan trail, and therefore rescues himself. 
after a life of, you know, having lost his family and all of that. So I wrote the screenplay and uh, had the meetings and uh, it got, was optioned and then Hallmark stopped doing their stuff. So the option came back to me and Marilyn said, why don't you write the novel? And I'm thinking she's nuts. That's a lot of work. You know, that's way too much work for me. Screenplays are enough work as it is. And I got to thinking about it and I said, well, you know, writing the novel, this novel is going to be better from a child's point of view than it is from a grown-up, grown man gunslinger's point of view. And I started to think about it and I thought, you know, the, the idea of like a kid trying to learn so much how to survive in the wilderness like that began to really grow on me. So I said, okay, I'm going to start writing this. So she said, just write the first 50 pages. So I wrote a treatment first. And then I bothered all my friends like Kenny and uh, Craig and anybody else who would listen about getting those ideas and Elizabeth who was in, in Marilyn's office and, um, and even my nephew who at that time was about 11 and I sent him the 50 pages which was a mistake <laughs> because as great as everyone else's uh, you know uh, ideas were he just cut right to the chase and he said uh, Uncle Eric what does the prologue have to do with the story. <laughs> and I got stuck on that. Uh, but I sent the 50 pages out to uh, an agent and it was immediately rejected. But her rejection was uh, intelligent. And I could do that. You know, it's like you're an actor and you go, you know, somebody gives you some direction, you actually, hopefully, if it's good direction, you take it and things are better. So I, that's the way I thought. I said, well, if you let me, I will, uh, you know, have a conversation with you and tell me what you're talking about. And so she, she said, okay. If you rewrite the 50 pages, I will read it again. So then I hit the road because I thought what I really wanted to do was, uh, um, oh, hey, Jennifer, can you start this up again? I know you work at, yeah, okay, thanks. Um, I don't know how to do a continuous loop. I just made this up spur of the moment. Uh, anyway, um, I hit the road. I went out uh, with my dog. We started in Kansas, and we did uh, the whole Oregon Trail where my relatives would have gone through, and the story where I wanted to start and sent in Great Bend, Kansas, and end up in the Bitterroot Mountains because I just love the Bitterroot Mountains so much. So what I did was, um, I know how to do that. Do you want me to do it? <laughs> just no, it just it just says slideshow up there, and it'll say play. I know, but it just go to the beginning. <laughs> Just go to the slideshow up on the top and start it from there. Uh, what happened? Now it's all screwed up. It's deleted. Well, anyway. <clears throat> 
<laughs> what the hell? Is, no, this is like what? What? Play. Just go to slideshow and play it from the beginning. Can we do, play from the start? Did you plan this? This is good. We should do this all the time. I hope it is. It's going to work. That's not the right one. No. That's still. Just leave. Just leave it alone. It'll start. Oh, okay. Well. Okay, that's better. Where the hell was I? No. Okay. <clears throat> so I go, anyway, I, I, I get on the Oregon Trail, and for a month I traveled all along. I went through uh, north to uh, the Platte River in Nebraska, and I went over, and I wrote by rivers and streams and mountains and every place. I looked at the wagon ruts. I did everything that I could possibly do. And uh, it's still not working. What? Um, Okay. Am I the only one who knows how to do that? Just do it, Eric. You're the only one. You're the only one. Wait a minute. Wait. Here. Hang on. Hang on. <laughs> Okay. All right. Here's so here's what happened. Let's let's rewind this. Hurry up before it I know, really. I gotta say. <laughs> so I'm going along and and um, I'm having a blast because I'm looking at things that uh, that people saw 150 years ago, and so long story short, I finished the 50 pages. I resubmitted it, and then she said, um, "I want the book." And that was the beginning of, uh, that was like November 1st, a few years ago. So I said, that's fantastic. She loves the book. Um, I wrote it according to her notes. And then she said, I need it by after Christmas. And I had 50 pages done. And then I said, you want me to write 200 pages by the new year? And so this is like three years ago, over th four years ago, huh? I had two months, two months. So, and this is between uh, trigger finger surgeries, because my hands were like you know this, as we all all the writers know. I found out that writing is one of the most brutal professions around, because anybody who writes looks like a gargoyle uh, after a while. So then I went. Um, uh, so I did it. I gave it to her by mid-February. And then she said, rewrite it. That's the first thing she said, rewrite it. 
and I, she gave me like all of these uh, lines, you know, like the, you got from uh, when you were a kid, like red pencil lines and everything. And uh, so after a year or more, she said, okay, now we're ready to shop it. So I went to uh, a few publishers. And uh, about the fourth one got it immediately. And he said, hey, I'm going to represent this. And the first thing he said was, rewrite it. <laughs> so I had to rewrite it all over again, according to his notes. And one of his favorite, uh, uh, their favorite sayings was, it's too didactic. So I had to look up what that meant. <laughs> Apparently, they don't like facts. You know, they, too much history. So um, <clears throat> I had a tendency to, like, I, re I researched the hell out of this for this book. And I loved it. And I've, I sort of had my stepfather on my shoulder the whole time, you know, you dig deep enough, deep enough, deep enough, so that I could brag to him on occasion that I knew more than he did about something. <laughs> he passed away, unfortunately, without ever having read a copy. Like, it was tough. Uh, so it happened. And people ask me, one, one of the things that I got out of this book that I'm getting now back in spades is that uh, I have a real soft heart, a place in me that, that loves kids and loves how kids overcome uh, great obstacles to win in the end. So this book tour has been about me going through uh, the little towns along the way. I went to, you know, of course, Missoula. I do a PowerPoint presentation where I try to scare the little ones, you know, with, with the dangers of the Oregon Trail and all of that. And uh, I would at sometimes had like fourth, fifth graders all sitting, you know, crisscross applesauce on the floor in Casper, Wyoming, and Omaha, and Kansas City, and in, in Colorado. And uh, all and some had gotten the book beforehand and want to know when the next Caleb book is. Well, you know, expecting that everything is done in trilogies, <laughs> so you have to automatically have the next book, right? I said, no, you have to go back 90 years to 1781 and read about my next book, which is takes place in the American Revolution. But it's for you guys. It's your age group. And it's going to be a great adventure. OK, but when's the next Caleb book coming out? <laughs> so went through that. Uh, but literally, I, I was on a plane or in a car or in a motel uh, for several weeks all over the place. And it was uh, uh, absolutely fantastic experience. Uh, but to get the thing done from soup to nuts was four years, I guess. And uh, so, uh, you know, my, uh, I think Marilyn is here. Yeah, Marilyn, I, I have to thank you for torturing me for years, uh, you know, to the point where it, it worked. And, and we have a book. And a couple more on the way, we hope. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so that's the process. And uh, uh, my relatives, the ones buried along the Oregon Trail, can maybe rest easy that some of their story is out there through some of these uh, characters. But it is historic. I've invented a new genre, and I call it 
maybe it's not new, action, adventure, historical fiction, westerns. <laughs> because another thing that they, uh, the agent told me was, uh, use your experience as an actor to influence your writing. And to me that, you know, of all the things that I've done over the years, you know, Kenny and I have done, you know, so many years together, you learn how to kind of like entertain and move off of stuff and, you know, how to make things lean and, and uh, you have a sort of internal sense of timing and you don't want to bore anybody. Actors fear, you know, Jack, uh, we don't want to, you know, all my great actor friends who are here, the last thing we ever want to do is bore anybody and I refuse to do that. And um, So, this, this is for the kids. Uh, kinda, but it isn't just for kids because some of the reviews that are coming in now really span all ages, and um, people are are kind of weighing in that, and the teachers too that it, it's a it's a good uh, good book to teach with because there's not much historical fiction without vampires uh, <laughs> out there, so that you know, uh, so. For now, uh, I mean, I can read a little bit, but I s throw it open to some questions too. So, what should I do for? Oh, oh, let me. Oh, take. Uh, <clears throat> that's just before I nearly got killed. Uh, I was in. I wonder if I can stop that. Can I? Does that stop it like that? Maybe. There's the hat. Oh, it is? Okay. That'll stop it. All right, well, look, no. <laughs> Nobody knows how these things work. If it stops, it stops. So I was in Kansas, and uh, I was doing a Barnes & Noble uh, event. Hey, Gare. Doing a Barnes & Noble event, and... Uh, it was a great event. They had uh, a similar uh, numbers of people. Uh, and I had to leave to do, like, Good Morning Wichita. <laughs> like, is that ever a good morning? <laughs> you know? I know, but I love the Midwest. <laughs> but, what, but no, there was, a, like, AM Wichita. And I had to get up early, so I had to I had to drive three hours from Kansas City to get to Wichita, and it began to storm about 20 minutes uh, heading west. It stormed so hard, uh, lightning was going like just bolts hitting the ground all around. Wind, terrible wind, and then the rain started, and then uh, everything went dark. I could not see anything on the road, and then. I was still moving, and now I found myself somehow off the road and pointed into some trees. And so when I was there terrified because there wasn't, there was nothing around, I couldn't see, it was incredibly violent. Well, eventually I made it to Wichita and I found out that tornadoes touched down in three states through the exact storm that I was going through. And one of my neighbors, Craig, uh, down the street is a pilot, an airline pilot. Uh, 
And he emailed me and said, yeah, Eric, I know all about that storm because I was flying over it as you were driving through it, and I told everybody to look out the starboard side if they really wanted to see, you know, a light show. Turns out it was, you know, probably me and my headlights pointing straight. <laughs> Absolutely terrifying experience. And this is also after telling kids of the dangers of the Oregon Trail. You know, oh, just think, what would it be like if you're caught in the Platte River in a flash flood in a wagon and there's a tornado bearing down on you? Because I knew that you know, all those things could exist. I just didn't think they would happen to me. <laughs> so... <laughs> uh, but it was, a, it was a wonderful experience and... and um, you know, so anything, anybody, any got, got anything? <laughs> oh, the art. Um, they did that. Um, they, meaning the publicist, I'm a publisher, they have an art department. And it came back to me as a sort of old time, you know, kind of cover. Uh, we had a, a few discussions about the cap, the hat which I thought was a little uh, wrong century. But they really liked the fact that it was kind of like cool. Because apparently you cannot tell kids these days, you, you know, this is your history lesson. They'll turn you off right away. You have to entertain them and have your facts salt and peppered in there so that it enhances the story but doesn't dominate the story. So they didn't want like, oh, let's just give them a cowboy hat. Uh, no, it had to be kind of like a cool cowboy hat. It has nothing, that cowboy hat does not exist in the book. You know, he has his regular cowboy hat. Um, you know, like, like you guys did, like Jack and Janine and the kids, you know, when you went, you had your cowboy hats on. Jack, you were just look so stunning in your thing. Um, so yeah, and they also, uh, they thought of the title. Originally, uh, I had called it Bitterroot, and they said, no, that's, that's too sad for an age group. I said, yeah, but it's got so many double meanings. I mean, bitter root. I mean, their roots are torn up. They've lost their family, the mom and the dad. Oh, and Susie's shaking her head. No, wrong choice. <laughs> so the last ride, the last ride of Caleb O'Toole, I said, he's 12. <laughs> what if he wants to ride again? <laughs> so he said, <laughs> I mean, come on. It's kind of limiting. He's... He said, you know, the most absurd title, a sequel title that I've ever can't come across was The Return to the River of No Return. <laughs> so anyway, I figured, okay, the last ride of Caleb O'Toole, and maybe Caleb rides again, or maybe, you know, stuff, I, I don't know, yeah, <laughs> right, it was all a dream, I'm still riding. But you're, but you're, um, uh, it's interesting that, that they also didn't really want to know uh, what um, uh, ages there were right away. They had me take some stuff out because they, I think they wanted to have boys project themselves as the hero of all ages. There was also other things that you couldn't do in this book. You had to lose any sort of slang expression uh, for Native Americans. You, you, could, you cannot use the word, or they discourage you from using certain words now. Obviously, squaw uh, is a no-no. Uh, uh, you know, there are various reasons for that. It's a slang 
that's derogative, derogatory to you know female body parts and Indians and all that. Uh, there is the word brave. They don't want you to use brave anymore. And what that did, act, yeah, brave. What I thought happened in the writing of it was when I found that out, that became better because now every male, I had to think of what is this person. He's not a brave who's like circling the wagons or whatever. He's a hunter, he's a soldier, he's a father, he's a this, he's a that. So you begin to think about them as more, more than, you know, Hollywood speak. So uh, that's the new wave. That's how it's kind of going these days. So yeah, there are politically correct things. So they, they were instructing me about that. And, and it kind of makes sense. Um, you know, so this is a, a, my first process. But I found that also losing a chapter was painful. Uh, he said, uh, I've got a few notes for you. You know, lose chapter 22. You know, the, the notes that he had were, you know, things like this is, this word comes up too often in the same paragraph. You know, that sort of repetitive words and things like that. A lot of them were, uh, you said, you've already said this before, cut it. I go, yeah, but I'm saying it so much better on this page, you know. <laughs> yeah, but you already said it, you know. So, and then it's like, well, wait, you're talking about the attack when, when Caleb and Patch, the little Indian boy, that he, that he killed, nearly killed, and then his older sister sewed him up, uh, and, and they became great friends, and they save each other, and they save each other, and they save each other, they save each other, they have already saved each other a couple times. So you don't need them to save each other over the grizzly bear that it has attacked them and dragged them into the forest. You know, but that led to this whole thing with, with uh, touch the clouds and, and the ceremony by the fire and everything. We don't need it. We've already had uh, these kinds of experiences in lodges with the Pawnee, uh, so we don't need that one now. And you're going ahead with the Nez Perce Indians going through Yellowstone. I said, I got it, I got it. Okay, it's out. So 20 pages just blew up. Um, but it's okay. Because the story was, you know, remained intact. Um, anyway, uh, I've fallen in love with them. Uh, I and I hope it isn't the last ride, <laughs> because I love these characters, you know. And it's kind of hard to, uh, for the next book, sometimes to get wrap my mind around the new names, like. I want to insert uh, Caleb where William is supposed to be doing this because I know how Caleb thinks. Now I have to figure out how William thinks. You know, so 80 pages of that, I'm beginning to find out more and more of that. So it's anyway. Anybody else got it? I don't know. Read. Read. Okay. <clears throat> All right. I'll read you a part that I read for the kids, uh, and this. <clears throat> I also have a like a whole PowerPoint presentation that I won't do for you, but it, because it's very youth kid oriented, and um, uh, but it it's well I guess I, well no nah, no nah. uh, uh, I I made one mistake of uh, uh, reading the final chapter uh, to uh, some fourth graders. Everybody dies. Not quite everybody, but a lot of people die. And uh, 
it's like like the epiphany. I mean, the whole story kind of comes to the, this this build up where the good guys and the bad guys are all you know together in the bitter root. But I was worried that I was horrifying some of the kids a little bit too early. So and also spilling the beans, you know. So they got to you know. So w one of the things about going in the Oregon Trail and being all alone and being 12 years old. As Caleb was, and his 15-year-old sis older sister, and his six-year-old little Tilly, and having to go through all the things that they needed to to figure out how to survive and everything, and with the bad guys chasing them, and things hitting the fan all the time, uh, they sought the protection of a wagon train. Now, in the protection of a wagon train, uh, it, basically back then, you couldn't ride up on a wagon train without getting your head blown off because they didn't know who you are and they had enough people already attached to the wagon train. And in researching this, um, you know, I put it in a, in a time period of 1877 when they couldn't ride the rails because there was a strike. So everybody headed back on the Oregon Trail during this strike for a period of time. And as the world is descending on them and the bad guys are catching up, um, Caleb has this great big black stallion named Pride given to him by the gunfighter to help him through all of his trials. Uh, the gunfighter's been shot up and left behind at a Pawnee camp. So uh, after lowering the wagons by rope in a place called Ash Hollow, uh, where the trail was so steep, uh, if they didn't lower them by hand or by horse, they would flip and that'd be the end of your journey. So they managed to do that with the help of their uh, Pawnee friends. Pawnee friends leave them. And then <clears throat> uh, Caleb and his two sisters in a one-horse buggy plus pride uh, happen along a big wagon train. And uh, he has to win his way aboard. So hang on. Glasses don't quite match either, right? <clears throat> I don't care how you say it, boy. You can't join up and that's it. The red-faced wagon master, Captain John Bellow, spat a stream of tobacco juice at Caleb's feet. Several other men circled on horseback around Caleb, Julie, and the wagon as the former Union officer chewed Caleb out for riding up behind. Now, I'm the leader of this here wagon train. I'm telling you, we can't afford to take on three brats with no folks to take care of them. We got better than a thousand miles to Oregon. You'd be a danger to us all. You darn near got yourselves killed just now. Well, sir, we'd only go as far as the Bozeman Trail with your wagons, and maybe we'll split off, maybe Fort Fetterman. Look, boy, I can't guarantee half these folks are going to make it even that far. There's a heck of a lot of trouble with a Sioux up at Scott's Bluff, and I got greenhorns that can't shoot and can't ride from places I never heard of. Tarnation, half of them don't speak good English. Last thing we need to do is take care of you snot-nosed brats. Now, you get on back to Ash Hollow and then wherever you came from. Now, we can take care of ourselves, said Julie. We've come weeks on our own so far. Well, then you don't need us now, do you, sneered the captain. We've got no use for you. Well, I can outride any of you, insisted Caleb. I can shoot, too. <laughs> you hear that? <laughs> That's a laugh. All the men seemed to think that was particularly funny. 
What about you, little missy? I suppose you're about as worthless as your brother here. You at least cook? Yes, sir, I can. Julie narrowed her eyes and stared straight at the captain. I can also stitch you up next time you do something foolish and fall on your head or whatever you menfolk are prone to do, said Julie defiantly. Well, this caused a great roar of laughter from the men that did not sit well with Bellows. Shut up! barked Captain Bellows as he stared at Julie, trying to figure out some sort of answer. He settled on Caleb rather than take on Julie. How old are you, boy? Twelve, sir. Twelve, huh? Now you think you can outride my best man? Yes, sir. Uh, this I gotta see. Corporal Posey, sir, get your butt over here. Bring that excuse for a horse you call devil with you. Yes, sir. Now, boy, I'll make you a little wager. You even keep up with Posey, I'll let you stay on. He beats you flat out, and you and your sisters here head back, understood? Yes, sir. Pride will beat him. I know he can, cried Julie. He'll eat pride's dust, yelled little Tilly as she bravely stood next to her sister. Pride, huh? Yeah, we'll see. Dadgummit, Posey! Sir! Posey galloped around the wagon on a screaming stallion so white it glowed in the midday sun. The young corporal's blue uniform with sparkling gold buttons and yellow striped leggings clung perfectly to him, and his shiny black boots beat a brisk rhythm on the horse's flanks. Long blonde hair flowed under a yellow tasseled cavalry hat. His wide brim swept up on the left side. This was a real horseman. He gave a flick of the reins and Devil reared up on his hind legs to his full height, his front hooves pawing at the air. Caleb had only seen a horse like this in books, an Arabian. He was big and strong, almost as big as pride at the shoulder. Caleb swallowed hard as Posey let the snorting horse prance sideways, and Devil, he knew, would be tough to beat. Arabians could run all day, and this one was young, and Pride had seen many battles and was at least 15 years old. This boy says Pride here can beat that crazy-looking horse of yours. You gonna let that happen, Corporal? No, Captain. Posey guided Devil alongside Pride. Instantly, Pride began to get agitated, for he was a war horse that did not like a young stallion riding up on him. Pride reared up and Caleb almost fell off the back. You watch yourself there, boy, laughed Posey, as he purposely swung his horse into Pride. All right, around that first tree and back. You fall too far behind, you and your sisters go. You got it? Well, Caleb thought for a second, and he had an idea. A short race. Anything can happen, but a long one. Around that tree. Well, that's too easy. What about that other one on the hill behind it? Might be more interesting, said Caleb, as he pointed to another tree far in the distance. Okay, muttered Posey. Don't matter much. Fine. Now, on your way back, you take a shot at that stump over there. We'll see if you can shoot like you say. Okay. Caleb looked across the trail at a burned-out stump some 50 yards away. He checked his sharps to make sure it was loaded, put it back in its scabbard. Pride sensed something was up, and he began to shift his feet in excitement. Posey lined up next to Caleb and yanked Devlin hard toward Pride. Pride, not to be messed with, lashed out with his hind leg and cracked the Arabian. Devil suddenly turned and bit Pride. Pride reared up hard. It was all Caleb could do to hang on. Wait for my shot! Captain Bellows took out his colt and pointed it skyward, then fired. Corporal Posey spurred Devil hard, and the big Arabian took off like he was shot from a cannon. It was two seconds before Caleb could react. At first, Caleb struggled, but Pride seemed to know his task and bolted on his own after the Arabian stallion. They were already 30 yards behind when Caleb settled in, and they could hear the jeering laughter behind him. Let's go, Pride! Yeah! cried Caleb as he squeezed with his knees. It was nearly half a mile to the tree, and if he figured right, 
He might run the white devil down. On they raced over the prairie and the big Arabian held the lead. Caleb winced as bits of dirt and rock were slung into his face, adding insult to injury. As he tried to control pride, he thought about saving him for the finish, but pride would have none of it. When Caleb tried to hold him back, pride fought against the bit, struggling to gain more speed. He seemed to want to beat this Arabian stallion in the worst way. This was something Caleb had not known about Henderson's horse. He was as hard-headed as the gunfighter was. So instead of trying to control the huge war horse, Caleb simply squeezed again. All right, Pride, go get him. And Pride stormed ahead, his proud blood pounding through his veins, willing himself to catch this white stallion. Posey shot a look back in disbelief as Pride surged toward him, and he took out a crop and beat Devil, whipping the Arabian horse mightily to keep his lead. The Arabian rounded the tree at a tremendous pace, his white tail flying straight behind him. Caleb rounded the tree seconds behind and shot after Posey and his horse. Posey whipped his horse like a madman and for a moment seemed to creep ahead. Posey tried to cut Pride off, but Pride veered to the side and pulled even with Devil. And for some seconds it stayed like that, neck and neck. And then Caleb just gave Pride another squeeze, leaned forward a little, and relaxed his grip on the reins. And now Pride took it on his own, smooth as glass. Pride flattened out his head, his black tail flying behind him. They left Posey and Devil several lengths behind in back of them as they closed in on the wagon train, the figures up ahead jumping up and down with excitement. The wind whipped and whistled as they pulled further ahead. Now it was Posey eating his dust as Pride pounded out a thunderous beat to the finish line. Caleb let go of the reins and reached back for his rifle. Calmly, carefully, he sighted on the blackened stump. Time seemed to stand still. He squeezed the trigger and fired. Holy sweet mother, gasped Captain Bellows as Caleb shot past on Pride and scattered the wagon sentries who'd gathered along with the growing crowd. Did he hit it? Johnson, check that stump! Ben Johnson, an older trapper dressed head to toe in animal skin, sauntered over to the stump as Caleb walked Pride back to the group. I don't see nothing, Captain. I guess he missed. Missed, huh? Boy, get over here. Caleb slid off Pride and gave him a pat as he ambled over toward the captain. I can't believe it, thought Caleb, as he led Pride past the sentries. He'd done well to win the race, but since he missed the stump, he figured Bellows would cut him loose. Nice race, boy, said the corporal grudgingly. What's your name, son? Caleb O'Toole, sir. Well, Caleb O'Toole, that was one dandy of a race. I never thought I'd see the day the devil would be beat. It's some horse you got there. Seen a share of battle, I see. Yes, sir. Caleb watched his bellows inspected pride, touching the big war horse's wounds. N.V. Bellows fingered the initials that were etched into the saddle. Nebraska Volunteers, I take it. Where'd you get him? A man gave him to me, sir. Caleb was careful not to mention Henderson's name. Gave him to you, huh? Well, Caleb O'Toole, you sure can ride. Too bad you can't shoot. Johnson, sir, you make sure this boy learns how to shoot that sharps of his. Caleb O'Toole? Yes, sir. Johnson can hit the eye out of an eagle. You learn from this man. If you can shoot like you can ride, we'll keep you and your family around. We'll maybe make you a scout. Thank you, Captain. I will. And you, what's your name? Julio O'Toole. And this is Tilly. I told you devil would eat pride's dust, exclaimed Tilly proudly. <laughs> well, Julio O'Toole, you say you can stitch a man's head? I can't. Good, you can start with old man Peterson's head right now. The idiot got himself kicked by that ox of his. Posey, take her up to the idiot's wagon. <laughs> she fix, see if she fixes him up. 
Julie ran to get her doctor bag. Wish me luck, she whispered. Now, boy, until you learn to shoot, you need to make yourself useful. Yes, sir, anything. Good. You can start by hanging in the back, collecting buffalo chips. Buffalo chips? What? It's dried crap from a buffalo. You see some, you throw in that wagon of yours. Makes for a good fire. And that's how he went his way on board. That was about the safest chapter I could have read for. <laughs> so yeah, Johnny. You have that on the tape? What? No. Not yet, but I, I fear I want to do it. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. I told him I would. You know, that was two years ago. So we'll see what happens. Yes, sir. It does, doesn't it? Good. Oh, thank you, sir. Appreciate that. Yeah. Oh. Hello, Bridget. Oh, the name. Yeah, they made it up. Uh, they just uh, decided that it was the last ride of Caleb O'Toole. Sounded like a one and out. They wanted it to be a sort of that special book uh, that said, we're not sure if we're doing any more. <laughs> you know, and they're maybe testing me, but they're also testing the market because, you know, it is historical fiction. So uh, if it gets into the school system, I'm in. And that's the thing. That's the, trying to get that done. Uh, and so far, so good with all of the different uh, states and cities and schools I've been to so far. Uh, Nebraska and Kansas, uh, especially, and Wyoming, are trying to get it into their... Uh, uh, you have to win some kind of award to do it. But they have it up for an award. But it's about... They feel like it's it's about them, you know, so they, they want to put it in there. What do they tell you is the appropriate grade level? Well, they're, they're saying middle, so that's that's actually like 8 or 9 to 14, kind of, but for precocious, <laughs> really precocious, you know. That, uh, they told me I was writing a children's book. I didn't know I was. <laughs> you know, I was just writing the best I could. <laughs> you know, but... But they no they they just they just figure you know we're writing you're writing a, a you know a young adult historical fiction young adult is actually older teens so these are younger teens and they these are from like you know but eight it could handle it yeah yeah that's what they're trying to do. The reviews have been really good. So the, you know, uh, from Publishers Weekly and Kirkus and all those guys. Uh, um, so it's, I, you know, a lot of people, I guess, they go by those guidelines to get it, you know, to get that possibility. So I, I really think I should split off. There should, I should be two or three people and just head around the country and and still those stay around for my agents to remind me that I am an actor <laughs> you know and yeah well um yeah so is there a part for you in this book so many <laughs> there's a uh, one of the characters in this book is a character named Logan Porter my name birth name was Porter and they're from Logan, Utah. 
So uh, Logan Porter is a you know a sheriff who's kind of a hero in the end. Uh, but I can also be the wagon master. I could all, you know, I, you know, I could, hey, you know, I want to tell you, Kenny, though, from Hot Pursuit, remember when we shot that horse, Rosie, that was that horse's name. So, Kenny, one of the reasons I, I, I put this particular um, horsemanship in here for Caleb is because I had the experience of that on a world-class horse uh, in Baton Rouge when we were in 1984 we were shooting Hot Pursuit the pilot and I was a veterinarian and Kenny said said All right, this calls for you I said okay no more running and jumping on trains now this is where you now uh, you're on the horse you're the you're you're a veterinarian the horse has been sick you're testing the horse out at a full gallop. Uh, you hold the reins in one hand and you reach underneath and feel the horse's pulse with the other. Can you do that? And I said, of course I can do that. <laughs> so then they, they had uh, the stuntman. Uh, what's the stuntman's name? Uh, 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 Ron, uh, Ron. Uh, Frank Rosati was the pass. Anyway, uh, we were in a field and they gave me, the, uh, there were two horses. One was the world-class horse, which was an Arabian and was uh, a female. Then there was mahogany, which is this klutz of a horse, which was, I had to ride mahogany half the day to get used to mahogany and I was bouncing all over the place. And Kenny was getting the camera truck ready to do a drive along and shoot me as I'm at a gallop. And so Charlie Paterni. Charlie said to me, and actually it was a stunt girl at the time, Charlie had left because he had an accident or something, you know, anyway, <laughs> fell, off, fell off mahogany. <laughs> so uh, she came up to me and she said, look, Eric, if you can't do this, I'm going to teach you how to get off the horse really well. So all you have to will do is stunt man and then we'll cut to you and then you just get off the horse. And I said, no, I'm riding this horse. So uh, the, the trainer came up to me and uh, said, um, okay, this horse has gears. And I, I said, it's a horse. You know, I can figure this out. She says, well, it's an, also an English saddle. All right. So I got on this horse, and after bouncing around on mahogany, I got on the other horse, and it was completely different. And the camera truck was there, and we were going along a street. And uh, I kicked the horse, and the horse just took off at whatever they go, really fast, like 100 or so. <laughs> It was, so, but, but I was so surprised that halfway down the road I had the reins in one hand and I was doing this with my other hand, which made no sense. So, but I felt like I was, you know, kind of cowboying up and, you know, I was getting in a thing. And then I got the horse to go back somehow and uh, start it at one. We start at one, starting mark. And Kenny comes up and he says, there's several things wrong with that. <laughs> okay, first of all, you outran the camera truck. Uh, we hadn't even started, so we have to learn how to figure that out. Second, it doesn't look good with you doing this. So I said, uh, 
All right, let me try this again, because I actually have to feel the, okay. So we, we tried it a few more times, and each time, uh, the, well, the trainer came up to me and said, you don't have to kick this horse. All you have to do is put a little light tension on the reins and give it a squeeze with your knees. And that horse, once you do that, it'll go faster. And then you give it another squeeze and it'll go faster. And okay, I said, well, we're going that fast. Remind me how to stop. Because with that horse, if you pulled on it straight like that, it ran through the bit. So what you had to do was saw it. You had to just gently saw the horses just back and forth, and that was a signal to stop. So with all of that knowledge, we started it again. Eventually, it just turned out great because I said, well, finally, Kenny got the camera truck going first, right? And then I ran into the shot and got side by side and got some great footage to the point where he gave it to NBC and said, NBC said, is that Eric, really Eric on the horse? <laughs> you know, so now, that actually got in the book because I felt like... Uh, what I wanted Caleb to accomplish was that kind of horsemanship versus. What I was thinking of when you were reading it, it sounded so much like that. Yeah. It, 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 you had when you got off oh, I was a mess. I was, it was, I was in heaven when I got off that horse. Yeah. It was an amazing experience. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so great to see everybody. <laughs> All right. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget that you can check out this and all of our other great podcasts at www.skylightbooks.com. Today's music was provided by Fragile Gang. You can check them out at MySpace, Facebook, and the iTunes Music Store. Thanks for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.